You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the NSPS Radio Hour. Uh, I'm Kurt Sumner, by the way. I was told recently that I needed to introduce myself more often rather than take for granted everybody knows who I am. But uh, actually, it's more about the radio show and the guests. But be that as it may, I'm I'm Kurt Sumner, Executive Director for NSPS. And appreciate everybody joining us today, as always. Uh, Today, my guest is Nick Duggan, who is in the U.K., and I'm going to let him tell us a little bit more about where in the U.K. he is, um, because he could tell me, and I still wouldn't know. But nonetheless, Nick, I really appreciate you joining me today. Hi. I know we sort of got our uh, our ducks lined up in a fairly short order last week uh, at a time when I was doing some traveling, and, and uh, so we our communication was by phone and, and email, but... Nonetheless, I, I appreciate you being with me. Now, am I correct in in talking with Gavin Schrock over at XYHT Magazine that you were one of the 40 under 40 group that they put together? Is that correct? No. No, I okay. wish. Yeah. <laughs> well, the reason I was confused about that, I was in their office recently, and we were talking about getting people on the show, and and Gavin and Neil were saying, well, you need to get more of those 40 under 40, and, and I don't know if you know about their 40 under 40, but they named yeah. 40 people around the world who were under 40 years old in the surveying field, not necessarily surveyors, but people in the surveying field. So I wasn't sure if you were one of those, or if you're, uh, of course, you're not ancient like I am, but maybe past 40. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little past forty, um, but uh, I, I was I, I do do a little bit of writing for XYHT, and um, yeah, I did a little work with uh, Gavin, and yeah, I was I was helping to promote the uh, the forty under forty, so uh, maybe where that came from. Probably so, yeah. And and as I said, I was in in their office a week or so ago, and we were were talking about the radio show itself, and we were talking about people we want to get on the show and one of my my primary objectives in doing this show is to have it as broad-based as possible and cover anything that's related to the surveying profession whether it's be from um, users of survey information clients uh, people on the title industry side or even property owners uh, you know surveyors but anybody that's connected so um it's always great to have um, interest as we're having this kind of discussion. I, I know that you you're involved in some onshore and offshore uh, renewables work, and that that struck a bit of a chord. Although it's a little bit different than something we do here, we we have a certification for for hydrographers through our um, our organization in conjunction with the Hydrographer Association of, of America, and uh, always interested in topics that are related to to the offshore side just because the vast majority of the surveyors in the U.S. at least don't do that work. Not the offshore part. Some of them do some onshore. But, and I don't know. Is that is that – I know you're not a, a chartered surveyor, but is that something that the chartered surveyors in England do? Do they do hydrographic work as well? I assume they do. Yes, yes. In the UK, you, you do have to be a, a qualified hydrographer and um, for obviously a chartered surveyor as well. So there, there is a definite separation. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare do any offshore survey at all. But 
I'm more of a translator, so uh, the work that I do normally uh, centres around uh, working with the hydrographers and surveyors to translate and pass on the information as best as I can to the uh, client or the the end user, and then vice versa. So when somebody wants something done, um, being having done GIS for near on two decades now, I I can work between that end user and the surveyor to make sure we get the right result. And, and I noticed in in our conversation you were you were talking about the fact that you're a chartered geographer and and part of the or within I suppose the Royal Geographic Society. I'm assuming that's a, a, for lack of a better term, a sister society to to RICS with for the surveyors. It, they they sit by side side by side. Um, I'm recently new to the Royal Geographic Society. I've only been with them for two years, so I'm still I'm still starting to learn how it all works. But um, it, essentially, yeah, like you say, um, uh, you uh, ch- being chartered with the Royal Geographic Society is more of a recognition of the the years of um, the work that I've done. Uh, in the, ge- the in the field of geography and especially um, in GIS as well because the ge- GIS or geographic information system um, work isn't really that recognised within the community or within the um, as, as much as it would be a surveyor if somebody asked me what I did for a living most people would think that I made maps um, whereas what I really do is a whole combination of different things, you know, from uh, working with surveyors and working alongside surveyors all the way through to make, making simple two-dimensional maps for uh, for a man that can't find his way home. You know, so it, the chartered geographer is a recognition and, uh, and a way of saying, well, this this person is a, a, a good at what they do and also they're, they're acknowledged with the, um, the chartered status to say that you know, if you need someone to talk to about this, then they're the best person to go to. Yeah, that that's always the the best best approach to everything. Just talk to somebody who knows what they're what yeah. they're talking about, and oftentimes that doesn't happen, unfortunately. But but it certainly yeah. is uh, is the aim as we as we move ahead. Uh, one of the things I found interesting in, in reading some of the information you sent me about about um, getting from one one stage of your life into into another, it really reminded me of. I think I think it may have even been last week. I, I was talking to some whoever was on the show with me uh, about a friend of mine in Georgia who sort of came to the surveying profession somewhat circuitously, uh, ha- having been working in a in a convenience store, and some surveyors just happened to go in, and then he ultimately got involved and went to the university and became a really successful surveying business owner. And 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 reading what you had sent to me, it, it reminded me of that and the, and the path that. A lot of surveyors, at least here in the U.S., have taken historically. Um, I, I talk about this all the time, so the people on the radio get tired of hearing me say it. But uh, just for our conversation, the, the average age of the surveyor here in the U.S. is almost sixty. It's like fifty-seven, fifty-eight years old. Um, so that what that means is that so many of us got our start before there was actually any specifically designed education. Uh, post high school education for surveyors. I mean, it, it was some university work, perhaps in civil engineering or maybe some other 
uh, uh, branch of engineering, but there was nothing specifically set for the surveyors. So I, I say that to follow up the point that so many people who are in our professional ranks and and still practicing didn't get to surveying through through university work. They came a different way. And, yeah, of course, I know my, you – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, my, my story is a teacher's dream. Um, I've, I've been in and talked at many, many schools, and when anybody asks me, well, how did you get started, the, the fact that I failed geography at school, um, had no interest in it all the way through college, and then it wasn't until I had my first child and I decided I really needed to do something with my life that I really got involved with the geography and found I was exceptionally good at it, that everything actually changed. And I've now become, like, like you know, a chartered geographer. But all the, way, all the way through school, I was absolutely terrible at geography. And, and te- at, at the schools that I, t- uh, that I teach at, or, well, or rather that I give lessons and talk about GIS too, um, they're, they, they're amazed, absolutely amazed that... At school, I had no interest or I was no good at geography. So, uh, yeah, it, it is an interesting story. Um, do you want me to uh, do you want me to talk about it now? I would love for you to. And and by the way, we're I think I mentioned to you when we were talking before we have thirteen minute segments and we're about about nine and a half into our first one. So we right. we will probably need to go over into the next segment. So when it times come for the break, uh, time comes for the break, I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah, just let me know. So. Um, so it all started when um, when I left university, and a friend of mine get, told me about this brilliant job at this nightclub. Uh, you know, free beer, free accommodation, and at the time, finishing university, that was probably an amazing, amazing idea and move to make. So I went and ran this universe, this uh, this nightclub for near on five years, and um, yeah, not not very good. So I went and moved on to. Uh, another job and around that time uh, my wife uh, we we had our first child and at that point I kind of thought well I really need to do something with my life uh, I need to and I knew I was very good with computers I knew uh, and so what we did was uh, we looked around and there's a there's a couple of part-time jobs at Ordnance Survey the UK National Mapping Agency uh, that was fixing their 1 to 25k product. Uh, the, the workflow was called Quiff. I, uh, I started working there and uh, ended up being full-time. Then I started uh, leading teams of people, and I found I was exceptionally good at it. I really found that I'd found my niche, and it's something I really enjoyed. So um, that continued, and then I worked on their positional accuracy program where uh, again, I really, really found the work not not only easy to comprehend, but I really, really found I enjoyed what I was doing, and also I started training people in the positional accuracy, which uh, kind of started to flip things. Then, after about three years of uh, working at Ordnance Survey, I think five years I worked there five years in total. I ended up uh, working with their um, data testing and systems testing team actually working on the Esri Enterprise database system. And I was working with the SQL guys and I was working with all the data managers, making sure that all the data going into the databases and the relational databases were all 
up to date and current. Everything was working fine. Managing the 50,000, 100,000 date address data, and um, it it really I really enjoyed what I was doing. I'd never found a job that I loved so much, and it got me excited enough to kind of move on to another um, area. I worked for the local government and uh, taught, uh, well, was helping them with their cartography and then was actually helped them build a 10-year plan for their GIS system so that they could build up what they had into a system that was going to last them a long time and work it right across the, the, uh, the department they had. Uh, then about... Three, four years after that, I got headhunted by a renewable energy consultancy who um, had just, well, it was a very, very small family business, but they'd won some really big contracts, and they, they'd they heard about this GIS stuff, but they just didn't know what to do with it. And uh, Maybe so maybe that would be a good place for us to, to jump off for the commercial break, and we can come back and start into that, that segment of, uh, of your cool. business at, when we come back. So let's go take that first break. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next-generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Nick, before we move on and, and, and talk about your uh, your next uh, part of your work life, I had a couple of uh, notes I'd written down when we were talking at first. You mentioned that uh, when your first daughter was born, so I'm assuming that means you have more than one child. Oh, my Lord, yes. <laughs> yeah, I have four children. Uh, my daughter is the oldest. She's uh, nine. A uh, son that's eight, another one that's four, and another one that's two. They keep me very busy. Oh, I'm sure they do. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> and I guess the next question is, and it may, it's probably too early in their lives, but one of the things that, that people in the surveying business here in the U.S. at least think about is where's the next generation of surveyors going to come from? Um, and so 
um, I, the lady who was on the show with me last week was talking about a program where they set up something at their state surveying conference to introduce all the children of the surveyors who come to the meeting into the profession, which I thought was a pretty neat idea. But um, yeah. I guess with your kids, maybe it's too early to know if they're going to be interested in geography or not. Well, yes and yes and no, yes and no. This is this is something that, um, like I said, I've I've been into schools and I've uh, and I've talked to children about uh, geography before and one of the one of the great things that you can do now with um with mapping is web mapping and one and the the thing that i do is what i do is i'll take in a web map but i'll hide something around the school on the web map and turn it into a treasure hunt and all of a sudden the kids are very interested and how do they find this treasure and you know how do they find it? And if you grid, if you grid that web map on a kind of like say a five a five grid, so that you know they they're going from zero to five on a grid, and they've got to find it. And the interest and excitement the kids have, and then you can show them how to make these uh, maps very very easily with the free software that's out there on the market right now. And seeing the children and their output, I've I've done blogs on this before, and there's just so much interest. I mean, my children are eight, you know, the older two are eight and nine, and they can already put a map together on QGIS. It's it's incredible. They really are tech savvy. They really are nowadays. It's it's amazing. Yeah, I think you're right, and and the whole geocaching uh, trend that's going on. I guess that's an international thing. I assume it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, Pokemon is, Go, my lord, is a great way, and and then. Um, I've heard some surveyors begin to talk about how we're we going to take advantage of this Pokemon thing that's going on now, and I don't is, I don't know if that's a big deal where you are, but um, it's, it's, it's yes, it's very kind of, large here. Kind of captured everybody's imagination over here, that's for sure, and uh, so that that's sort of a neat thing. And you know, speaking of the blogs, you had sent me a little bit of information about that. Maybe you could t- tell the audience a bit about your your blogs and other other communications that you've got out there um, and and the interest you're generating. Yeah, well, about, I think it was about five or six years ago, um, I was sat there and I was feeling, even though I was working with all these wind farms all over the, all over the UK, I found that I wasn't really talking with anybody. Um, everybody had all their ideas about what standards we should be doing and how things should be done but I was finding there were people asking me how they could do things so what I decided to do was I decided to get on Twitter um, and I've got this I've got this handle called at dragons ate my cat and within within a couple of weeks all I was putting on there was a couple of a couple of tips on how to do certain things or things I'd struggled with and how how they could do the same and accomplish the same things. And within a couple of weeks, I had about 500, 600 followers. And within a couple of years, I had like over 2,000 followers on Twitter. And that led me to start doing a blog uh, called The Spatial Blog, which I started putting on hints and tips and information on how to accomplish things, not only in open source, but in kind of Esri and other software and really do step-by-step things that you might not find in a book and 
would relate to, you know, people that were actually just stuck there themselves doing this. And I found within the first the first six months, I was getting near on 10,000 hits a month on this facial blog because people would, they, they had books, but they, there wasn't really anybody that was really helping accomplish the, the tricky things that sometimes people don't tell you or that you don't find in a book. So uh, I really kind of capitalized on that and um, created like a little community on Twitter that now if you look up Dragons Ate My Cat on Google, you can pretty much talk with other GIS and geospatial professionals on Twitter and kind of ask for help, ask for hints and tips, and you get stuck on something. It's, it's great. There's, there's people there online. And it just means that we're not all stuck in our little boxes, hidden away. We're, we're actively talking with each other and making GIS and geospatial things better as a community. Yeah, and one of the things that I find so um, not only interesting but, but instructional and useful in that vein of things is it seems that people are much more open to sharing their ideas and their thoughts um, their problems, whatever they may be, in in this environment, than if they were, say, they were at work and they had a question. In the old days, you'd be afraid to ask your fellow em, yeah. uh, employee for help yeah. for fear that they might think you don't know everything. Knowing, of course, that you don't. But but it just seems that this platform that that's out there now that you've been using, and obviously so many other people are participating in. I think whether it's on these types of questions or just life in general, people seem to be so much more willing to share and, and be a part of a discussion than they, than they were in the past. And, and, of course, the availability makes it easier. Well, I think, I think the thing is don't be afraid to ask. Um, it all, like you said, it always used to be a case that you didn't want to ask because you didn't want to lose face in the professional community. But now with everything getting so advanced and so complex people that the the technology is difficult to understand because it's moving so fast so don't be afraid to ask if you don't understand that step because the person might not have written it down because it's moving so quickly that's very true oh and by the way dragons ate my cat is dragons number the number eight my cat so it's d-r-a-g-o-n-s the number eight and then m-y-c-a-t uh, I thought that was a when you sent me the email, and I, I saw that's also your email address. I thought that was a pretty cool. I didn't realize it was tied to the to the blog thing, but that's that's really neat. Oh, it's 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 that's another great story because I it was during the time if anybody remembers AOL, um, you had when you signed up to AOL back back in the dark ages, you had to pick an email address to go forward with, and I tried my name. I tried my wife's name, I tried my name with numbers, just nothing was available. And I just mashed in Dragons Ate My Cat. And it was the only thing that was accepted. And it's just developed now. It's just, there's blogs, there's Twitter, there's emails. And it's so catchy. I think that's what's helped people kind of affiliate with that. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, it, it, I just thought it was a really, a really cool name that you wouldn't necessarily see all the time. <laughs> no, but, no. But, but very, very interesting nonetheless. Well, uh, before we move on, congratulations on the children. Um, as as Thank you. a father whose youngest child is 39 years old, <laughs> um, 
I, I can uh, attest to the fact of how much fun they are and how much fun you're going to have with them all, all through their lives. And, and, and in reality, all of these blessings we're talking about uh, in, in this interactivity for communication uh, will just help to make those bonds stronger and, and maintain no matter where they go. You know, in, in times past, people would move away from home, and oftentimes you wouldn't, wouldn't uh, have all that com- much communication with, with the folks you care about. And uh, I know that's a little bit off topic, but it's a really important thing, I think, for us to, to realize that we have that connection with our families, but we also have it with our professional family as well, which is what you've been talking about here in the, in the last few minutes. So I think we, I'm not sure we've taken it for granted yet, but we probably will pretty soon um, yeah. and not realize just uh, what a great advantage it is. And, uh, and, and, and another part of that, when you were talking about your children being so interested, and it seems as though, in some cases at least, the, the focus on uh, geography, engineering, surveying, the kind of things that we do, just from my perspective, I may be wrong about this, seems as though emphasis on the importance of those kind of things seems to be diminishing in the, in the schools. I, you, of course, you'd know more about that than do I because you have younger that, children, but it just seems that way to me. That's an interesting one because, uh, interesting enough, uh, GIS um, has just become part of the national curriculum here in the U.K., Wow. So, yeah, yeah. So now, now it's being taught within school. I think, um, I think at primary and secondary school age, so they're getting basic uh, tuition in kind of coordinates and that sort of thing um, to get them a basic grounding. Whereas uh, I know two, three years ago, it wasn't even it wasn't even part of it. You were taught geography, and that was that. So here in the UK, it really is starting to become quite important because it's integral to so many different things. So that's it's a really, really great thing that's uh, started happening here in the UK. Yeah, that is. And, and it may be here too. I, I just don't have connections to to uh, people in, in that age group. My, my grandchildren are all out of high school, so um, <laughs> I, I don't have those same connections that, that I used to with what's going on in the schools. But it, it is a great thing because understanding uh, the geography and, of course, from the surveyor's perspective, we want people to understand about land and its value and what ownership means and what property rights and property uh, dimensions mean and those kind of things. Um, it, it needs to be all part of the program at some point so everybody gets an appreciation of that, that it's reality. It's not just a game. It's really the reality of the world. So we now we've talked ourselves into being within a minute of our second break, believe it or not. <laughs> but um, anybody who listens to this show knows that I'm I'm very famous for that kind of thing. Not that I'm trying getting off track. I just think of other things that I think are important for us to talk about. So I want to make sure we we cover those as we go through. So uh, when we go to our next break, then then we'll come back and talk more about. Uh, the, the the small family renewable energy consultancy that you you went to after you first got your your training and uh, led you then on into to the things that you're doing now and and uh, then we'll be talking I guess maybe in our last segment about uh, the actual company where you are now and the kind of things that you guys are doing and I'd be interested in your perspectives also on having been so intimately involved in this world of, of geospatial and GIS. 
um, looking ahead and thinking what your thoughts are on where it's going next, if anybody could even think about that. So let's go to our next break right now, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number. 800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Nick, before we got sidetracked or or talked about what I think was important information anyway, you were talking about having been headhunted by this company to to, uh, start working in small family renewable energy. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, PMSS, uh, Project Management Solution Services. They're... uh, they are a renewable energy consultant, a very, very small family business. Um, I joined just after they were working out, out of the, uh, the, man, the guy that owned it. it. He was working out of his uh, shed, which was <laughs> quite funny. And we, They bought a grade two listed building in Romsey, Southampton, which is uh, right down the south of the UK, not, not too far from the Isle of Wight. And... Um, yeah, they they had they didn't know what GIS was, but they knew they needed it because they were getting they were getting lots of clients asking them for mapping, for visualizations, for input, and they they weren't sure how to provide it. So they they brought me on to really set up and build their their GIS um, and their mapping and visualization capability. So. I came in and put put systems in place and put standards in place and really they they just grew. Um, the time I joined, they had about seven or eight employees. By the time I left, they'd just been bought out by Tufsud 
which is one of the biggest uh, European kind of certification companies, and there were some just over 150 employees within the company. And um, I was pretty, I, I was a lone GIS uh, specialist, kind of uh, supporting all of them. Uh, and we were involved in pretty much every wind farm within the UK. There, there wasn't, you know, one that we didn't really get involved in. So we'd be supplying everything from uh, mapping, consultancy on standards. We we did every single bit. But the most interesting for me was uh, the involvement in with the surveyors. So what I'd be involved with is having to translate or having to work between the surveyors so there would be offshore surveys done but each offshore each offshore survey would mostly be done by a different company because you'd have to go with the cheapest or the or go with the one that the client preferred and by doing this every single survey for everything uh, from geophysics to um, just multi-beam to onshore yeah they'd, they'd all be done by different people and there was no con- no real consistency so datums would be would be different because people would be using the the best system that they knew at the time and they need and i was brought in to kind of grease the cog so to speak so to translate between all of them to make sure that all the data collected was correct and in place so although not a surveyor I'd be working closely with them to ensure that all the data was collected for the project and to make sure that nothing was overlooked or missed. So in the in the standards part that you were working with, were you able to, to create um, a, a, sur- a standard for the surveyors to follow? So regardless of which surveyor it was, they were able to... Uh, provide you what you needed in a particular your particular standard or format or did you just get this vast amount of information all of which was somewhat disparate in in the way it was collected and then trying to figure out how to make it all work i'd I'd never tell the surveyor what to do (laughs) yeah well i understand that you (laughs) you weren't going to tell what to do but at least maybe i I guess my question was did you have some some protocol that said we, we we like it this way or anything We'd have a, we have an in-house hydrographer who was obviously well known in the business and very very good at what they do. And also we we um, knew surveyors as well. So what we would do is I we discuss what the client required or what the client would want, and then I'd work together with the hydrographer and the surveyor to ensure that we all came to a common format. And then when things didn't match, we'd work together to ensure that. It you know nothing was overlooked and it all worked, but the the surveyor wouldn't the surveyor couldn't do it on their own the hydrographer couldn't do it on their own and I sure I sure couldn't do it on my own so we had to work had to work as a team and really understand have some overlap on how each other worked and what our knowledge were to to make sure that everything kind of fitted in the box so to speak. Yeah, and and I actually had a, a purpose for asking that question because the the mechanism that you're talking about is so critical in any endeavor where surveyors are involved, and it's yes. it's important for the professionals, the surveyors, uh, or anybody else, I guess, to try to get as much understanding as possible 
what the client's looking for and what they, that type of thing. I, I, I regret to say that's not always the case it, the way it works, but it's it's so important. And so I was re- interested in in your your uh, description there of how everybody pitched in and said, "Okay, let's work together and see what needs to be done and how somebody needs to see it and those kind of things." Because that is really so important to not only to getting the project done, but getting it done effectively. So I, it is, I, I think. In my, in my experience, what I've in my experience, what I've found is that the surveyor captures the data, but with little because they they have to do it off the back of a project that is due to be built, but with no knowledge of how that's going to be analysed, how that's going to be utilised, and then it could be utilised by many different people for different purposes. So they, the the data is captured, but then it's not. It's not with any knowledge of how it's going to be, so you can't really capture the data for that purpose, whereas a lot of the time it should be back to front. You you know what you're capturing the data for. You know how it's going to be analysed, so then you can focus on specific areas or create the data in specific formats for that particular purpose. Right, and and I know one of the other things that that you've... uh been working in is is the whole um, BIM building information management. Am I saying that correctly? Um, that to me seems to be a collaborative effort as well. You know where people are are um, sharing ideas and information about what they need and how they need it and and that kind of thing. We can talk about that a little bit later, but it seems that though that's a good avenue. One question I did have about your work with this group and and even today. Um, how big is the wind energy uh, industry in uh, in the UK? Oh, oh, I'm I'm not allowed to say it's um it's currently zero really. Uh, the, the 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 part of the reason that um, I was happy to move away from uh, the PMSS company was the fact that the the government have removed all pretty much removed all funding and they're they're focusing their uh, ideas elsewhere um, outside of renewable energy so there were projects that we were working on that pretty much got cancelled uh, wow. due to due to the issues um, and many of the wind farms which were due to be built all around the UK there was I mean we, we were due to have more more than a hundred percent of our energy from renewable energy in the UK but pretty much most of the uh, the projects were stalled because they just, without the funding, they they just couldn't be built. And I think some of them are still at that stage. Yeah, and I assume that those decisions get made for a lot of reasons: um, availability of other resources, uh, yeah. whatever the political winds are sometimes, and those, and those kind of things. Um, but I I think that's a pretty common element almost anywhere uh, in terms of how people feel about any particular type of of en- you know energy uh, natural resource whether it's wind or coal or or so, uh, solar or whatever it is um, yeah you're going to have those kind of things that happen with uh, in any situation I think yeah in the in the UK they they've started looking at uh, nuclear power which which is kind of a bit unfortunate really because there's it's something that you know is, isn't really liked in the UK, but 
it, it will do because they need something to fulfil the power needs. But my my last few years at uh, at PMSS, ironically, um, we were starting to do a lot of work in the United States, uh, uh, working on projects uh, just off Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. I can't say much more. <laughs> but it was it was related to nuclear. No, no, renewable. Um, oh, to renewable. Okay, so, I'm sorry. Yeah, there's okay. a lot, a lot of in, interest um, in wind, renewable uh, wind farms offshore in, uh, off the, the east coast there. So that was you were doing that when you were still with PMSS, or is this something you're doing yeah, now? No, doing. Oh, with, when you were working with, with those guys. Okay, yeah. I, I did a little bit of work with a company called Dong. Might have heard of them. So are you, um, well, I guess with what you're doing now, maybe you're not doing that stuff in the U.S. Uh, or uh, no, I'm not. I'm near not, the U.S. now. <laughs> now, now, well, we we are doing work in the U.S., but not not with regards to renewables. We we do um, we do uh, training on city engine and urban planning and and those sort of things. But you know, if if the work ever came around, yeah, I'd I'd sure get uh, involved in renewables. There's, it's just an amazing, amazing uh, field of work. It really is. Yeah, and you were talking about the whole wind farms thing, and there are places in in the U.S., you know, as you fly across the country, you just see these huge wind farms, and then other places you don't see any at all. So I guess a lot of it has to do with the political environment, um, whatever, whichever way that may happen to be at any given time. Yeah. Because as you said, if a lot of that, comes through some level of, of government funding more so than maybe on the entrepreneurial side, or it seems to anyway. So let's see. I think I wrote down. Oh, one other quick question I was going to ask you earlier. When you were talking about training people in GIS and, and all those kind of things, one of the things surveyors are always interested in is is where's the real position on the ground? Um, and of course, in, in our country, it's everything's tied to, to monuments, uh, regardless of what their their position is in any particular kind of GIS. And uh, but I guess the land tenure system in the UK is—I won't say it's different than that—but is it tied more to GIS than perhaps we are, or is that something you even know the answer to? So can you say, say that again? The land. The, if, well, the whole idea of land ownership, you know, this is my property, this is what I own, yeah. and the parameters of my property are marked by something, whether it's a, uh, yeah, we, a we fence or land, property corners, yeah. whatever. Yeah, we have we have land parcels here in the UK, and um, they're, they're controlled by uh, the Department of uh, Energy, uh, Def, oh, DEFRA is the, uh, the company mm-hmm. that they're maintained by, um, but, uh, and we have the land registry as well, who... Um, who tend to monitor the uh, the land land ownership and leasehold freehold information, which are, which interesting enough is uh, supplied um, is free open data to uh, to for in GIS format, which is uh, very see. useful. But well, position, well, believe it or not, we're position. ready. We're ready to go to our last break, so we'll do that All and right, come right okay. back. Attention, surveyors! Seanstead announces the Maggie. The next generation magnetic locator. 
the Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Shonstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.shonstead.com. Shonstead, the best just got better. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. We're back for our last, apparently short segment today with Nick Duggan. Uh, and again, as I said during the break, Nick, I really appreciate you being with me today and, and talking about the things that you're doing and what how things work in the U.K. We're always interested in learning those kind of things. Now, I, when we were off air at one point you were talking about the, uh, a new thing that you're you're going to be doing which and I want to hear about that with the new company uh, which may take you back closer to where you originally grew up I guess um, you're moving south to north I guess if, if per- perhaps you are not necessarily you're going to but you may well poten- potentially um, the, com- the company is based in the uh, in the north of England and um, it's uh, right by Lake Windermere, which are a lovely part of uh, the UK with uh, some lovely walks. And um, I've only I've only been with the company for a year, so in the next year or so, I'll be moving to I'll be looking to move back up with them. But the company's a, an urban planning consultancy um, dealing with uh, we we do. The company does master planning um, architecture. They're, they're members of Reba. But also they teach uh, City Engine, which is an ESRI procedural modeling, modeling tool uh, for visualizations, but it's also grounded in GIS. And it's also related a lot and used a lot for uh, BIM. And is that something, the, the BIM part, as I, I think I mentioned earlier uh, in the show, we were talking about BIM, and um, it, it's... For the surveyors here in the U.S., um, it's still a little bit of a an unknown, I guess is a good word to use. Uh, there are quite a few surveyors who are getting involved in it, but uh, a lot of surveyors aren't involved in it. Um, 
So I don't know if you want to chat about it just a little bit um, and how it's how it applies to the the company you're you're with here, or maybe who the who the clients may be if you're uh, or the types of clients. You don't have to give me specific names, of course, but the types of folks that you'd work with on that. Well, I'm relatively new to BIM. Um, I've obviously like like with you, I've learned, I've heard the word, and I've. I've kind of like it's been bounded around with me, but since 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 starting with Garsdale Design, I'm still I'm still a bit kind of confused about what BIM is because there's there's BIM which is the the CAD and kind of architectural based kind of capture and asset management system. There is kind of your um, SIM, which is city information modeling, which is a kind of models of the city which are kind of attributed. And then you've got your smart cities, which are, which again are kind of like uh, three-dimensional models of a city which are all kind of linked with live data. And pretty much every single one of them is fighting for the forefront of, of the kind of the market. But none of them are really succeeding and it like you said it is very confusing for everybody in the industry um there are standards starting to be put in place for bim but also standards starting to be put in place for smart cities so i'm i'm relatively new to this i'm i'm learning as we move along but from my point of view i don't think it needs any of those i think it what it needs is um some integration between everybody and to have a, a spatial solution which integrates and is a, a workflow more than more than a, a nice little keyword. So it becomes more of a um, comprehensive, I guess, if that's a, if that's a good word to use, in terms of its its uh, integration into um, the various elements and um, also into how it's used, I guess. Well, yeah. Then, then, if it was, if it's all a, a workflow that kind of it, that from end to end, that kind of fed into a model that everybody kind of knew and used about everything along that chain, people would know what it was being used for and how it was being used and where it was going, so that everything could be catered towards that purpose, which would create a, a end-to-end thing, which. You know, pe- people w- would be able to use more and would understand, and it wouldn't just be some word that everybody's wondering about and doesn't not quite sure how they're going to use it. Yeah, and, and, and I can certainly yeah. see where that would be uh, instrumental, and and again, kind of going back in time and, and experiences and working with different localities, many times within an entity, whether it's a a local government office or a state government office or some some company uh, there always seems to be these uh, variant sets of data that are out there that are not necessarily connected to each other and in a business maybe one department has one thing and another department has something else but it seems as though here's an opportunity to maybe put all of that information together rather than uh, in, in many cases, reinventing the wheel, so to speak, when you when you need to use some data. Um, but it, it, and I think I hope I'm understanding that correctly, that this is an opportunity to maybe 
put all that information together where it's usable by a variety of pe- people or or departments in a company even, um, and everybody's working from the same sheet, so to speak. No, no, definitely, definitely. If, if I'm allowed to say, I've, I've, um, Garsdale Design gave me the opportunity to go with them to uh, do some talks at a conference in Dubai in April, and um, and I've got to be honest, having met some of these guys, the the, the city principalities and absolutely phenomenal the the way that they all work together they've got a set of standards and they they know the the reason the city's grown so big is because they're all so integrated and they work together so smoothly and it's something that i've not seen here in the uk um and you kind of slowly forget your ideas about bim and city modeling and it is a true living breathing smart city that they're that they're all working together on it's absolutely phenomenal yeah, in a way, it's kind of like some of the, the advocacy work we do here with our federal agencies, trying to get people all on the same sheet of music, um, rather than each each entity getting its own information for a particular purpose, but not sharing any of it back and forth. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, that that makes a makes an awful lot of sense for for moving ahead. That's for sure. Yeah. So we got about three or four minutes left. You any ideas about with all the information you're gathering from people and the work that you're in, um, we all think we've every time something new comes along, we've found the the thing that's going to cure all of our ills and it'll never get any better. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm I'm expecting that we'll just see continual change and and even better ways of doing things. I think I think we will, but uh, I think Pokemon Go. As much as as much as I don't want to say this, I think it's leading. It's going to lead us into a new generation of um, of GIS surveying and working out in the field. It's uh, augmented reality. There's it, it used to be the thing of games, and it used to be a nice little tweak. But virtual reality, last well, has been predicted to be one of the biggest industries um, to be coming soon. And with the improvement of mobile. GPS, GNSS, and the location aspect of um, mobile technology, I think we're, what we're going to see is a, a change in the way that we do mapping, that we're going to be able to look through the the lens of your mobile phone and be able to identify where issues lie out on the field within a project with some some level of accuracy. And um, I, I really think that we're, we're going to see a change in the near future, into into the way that we're operating and working with spatial data, and that's I'm just trying to think about how that that philosophy lends itself or affects the way we educate folks today in in the whole, in the geospatial sciences. Um, I guess there's going to be some sort of revolution there too, because and and that's not not a bad thing or not a new thing. I mean, even in the surveying profession, you know, when I started years ago, we were using equipment they used 100 years before us, and now it changes every week, it seems. Um, oh, yeah, I, I don't I don't see any change in the way that we capture the data. Well, there, there might be a slight change in the fact that you, sh- you may be able to capture the data through the lens of your mobile phone or with a, with an RTK in kind of your mobile phone so that you, you truth it, but... It, it would be more a case of the way that you interact with the data and the, the way you interact with your um, your environment around you. 
you won't be so disconnected by using like a computer screen or using a map to work out where the issues lie. You'll be there live, and it will be there in front of you. Yeah, that's a that's a, a world that not even a few years ago nobody would have ever thought of. Well, I guess people thought no, about it. We no. just weren't sure what the reality would be. No. But who'd, who'd uh, have thought? Who'd have thought a few years ago we'd all be walking around looking through our mobile phones trying to catch imaginary ducks? <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That's very, very true. Yeah, there was an incident uh, down near where I grew up. There's a, a, a facility there that that makes propellants for the military, and somehow somebody had wow. sent people there to try to find these imaginary dots, and, of course, they got turned away pretty quickly. But uh, they, And they couldn't understand why they got turned away, of course. But uh, those are the kind of things that happen. Well, in our last 30 seconds, I want to make sure I thank you for being with me today, Nick. It's been great having you on the show and, and hearing perspectives about your work and where the world is going. So thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. My pleasure, Curtis. Thanks very much for having me. And you be sure to uh, take good care of those kids because in 15 minutes they're going to be 40 years old. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. It's frightening it, thought. It's frightening it, thought. Yeah, it certainly is. But thanks again for being with me, Nick. I really appreciate it, and hopefully we'll have a chance to talk again sometime soon. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully. See you soon. Have a great day. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.